Hey, Michael Knowles here, and do I have a treat for you. The latest episode of Daily Wire Backstage is right around the corner, and you do not want to miss it. Join me, Ben Shapiro, Andrew Clavin, and the God King Jeremy Boring as we discuss the latest news and cultural events, all while enjoying some fine whiskey and cigars. It is going to be all that and more. Take a listen. <laughs> you want to do the fake laugh? Anymore? <laughs> <laughs> you guys, uh, well, that's going to trend on Twitter. Yeah. Welcome to the Daily Wire Backstage, the DNC Dumpster Fire Edition. I'm Jeremy Boring, known around here as the Boss Man, Sir, and also God King, lowercase k. Uh, we're glad you have tuned in. Roll intro. the Democrats managed to pick up any new votes after this crap show of a week was not naming the Democrat convention the Chaz version, a mistake on their part, and will Republicans be able to pull off a better shoe? Is there anyone uh, on God's green earth that Biden is actually uh, going to, will anyone on God's green earth be able to convince Joe Biden to get on a stage and to vote Donald Trump? No. Joining me to discuss all of this and more, the Ben Shapiro, the Andrew Clavin, Michael Knowles, and the lovely Elisha Krause with us via satellite. Elisha, what have you got for us? Well, real quick question, though. Speaking of how awful the DNC was, is Matt Walsh contractually obligated to host a solo DNC watch party like I'm contractually <laughs> obligated to be here every month? Mm. Yeah. We leave nothing to chance. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, speaking of brand new things that I'm contractually obligated to do, stick around tonight for the All Access Live that's happening after the show and join all the guys, Jeremy, Ben, Michael, Drew, and of course, moi, for a members-only live stream discuss discussion that's going to be moderated by yours truly. And if you want to join us, here's the thing. You have to be an All Access member. And if you are a member, go ahead and click the link in the description below wherever you're watching this once the show ends to join the discussion. And if you're like me and you love a good sale, great news for you. We have a limited time offer going on so you can participate in tonight's All Access Live. Become a Daily Wire All Access member for 20% off with coupon code ACCESS to join in on the fun. Thank you, Alicia. We'll look forward to visiting with everybody after the show. Uh, so guys, one of the good things about being, well, me compared to being you, is that I don't have to watch every moment of the DNC and then talk about it the next morning. <laughs> so for me, it was kind of a crash course today as the guys kept chasing me down the hall with a laptop trying to get me to watch various parts of the DNC. And all I, I, I have to admit, I found it to be incredibly compelling uh, television. I actually sent in hoping to get the tote bag uh, when they went to commercial break. This was the m most horrible public access TV show that has ever existed on God's earth. I thought all of Hollywood was in service uh, to the Democrats. How on earth did somebody think that they could field this thing and call it uh, television. What, what are they thinking, Drew? You know, one of the things that really struck me about it is how protected they feel and rightly feel they are by the news media. They know they can yeah. get up there and do what is one of the what was one of the dullest shows uh, ever featuring some of the most corrupt individuals ever uh, making speeches about how awful America is. And yet every time you turned on not just CNN, but the networks as well, uh, they were just in absolute raptures. I mean, that the idea that that is incisive commentary to sit around. I, my favorite line was, I think it was uh, Anderson Cooper who said that uh, it was an it, it was a history making and a history quaking, history shaking speech uh, by, by Barack Obama. Uh, Margaret Brennan of CBS was actually clutching her hands to her chest like test true heart after she'd been rescued by <laughs> Dick Tracy. I mean, it was just they just feel they can count on that. And they don't know we can see them the way we can. And I you know, you can always be wrong about this. I think the polls are going to go swing Trump's way after the DNC. I think it was one of the few DNCs that's not going to have the usual bump because it was just appalling. Yeah. I, you know, there's this this problem that the Democrats have had with taking things for granted, which is they keep putting forward nothing. Like Joe Biden is not a person. Joe Biden is nothing. The same goes for Kamala That's Harris. That's not true. He's uh, Dr. Joe Biden's husband. I'm sorry. He's Dr. <laughs> Joe Biden's husband. And they, they stand for nothing, right? They just lick their finger. They put it up in the wind. They, they figure out which way it's blowing. They, they don't stand for anything at all. This was true of the whole DNC. They learned the wrong lesson from Clint Eastwood in 2012, which is everyone lo looked at that Clint Eastwood speech where he talks to the empty chair and they said, oh, how embarrassing. What a weird moment. 
That was the only watchable moment from a party convention, probably in my entire lifetime. It was alive. It was spontaneous. It took an otherwise completely dull campaign, made it a little bit lively. Ideally, you'd want your candidate to be putting forth something new and interesting. But, but in lieu of that, at least put on a good show. The Democrats just feel that they don't have to. You know, it was, there, there, there were some telling elements to, the, to this. First of all, it was clear that, that Biden and Harris were complete afterthoughts throughout the entire convention. The entire convention was about how Donald Trump is a very, very bad orange man. And our program doesn't really matter because he's a bad orange man. And then Joe Biden, light bringer, for some reason, <laughs> they literally used the word light in that speech 11 times, right? I mean, he actually cribbed from Marianne Williamson. So they were all making fun of Marianne Williamson and the dark psychic forces. He just cribbed from her the way he cribs from everybody else. And he did the dark versus light. And Joe Biden, 50 years on Capitol Hill, the light bringer is, is a weird take, especially after a week of we're in the throes of fascism and we're about to destroy our entire democracy through voter fraud. And, and all of this stuff. But what struck me about the entertainment value, about just the pure entertainment value of it, was that the, the part of it that was the most entertaining, there were a couple of speeches that, that were, I mean, frankly, I thought Michelle Obama did a pretty good job. I thought that Obama is good at what he does. I mean, for what he is, he, he's good at what he does. Biden, it was, it was like watching Nick Walenda. They're watching it mostly to see if Nick Walenda is going to fall. And when he didn't fall, there's a sense of like, well, that's good, but also slight disappointment. Uh, and and the, the part that was the least entertaining, but in some ways the most amusing, were the actual entertainment figures. So they brought out like Kerry Washington to lecture us on how our lives is at stake. And all I could think is, she's probably worth 30 million bucks living in the Hollywood Hills. Her life ain't at stake under any circumstances. They brought over Billie Eilish straight off the Xanax bottle to inform us how excited she was about endorsing Joe Biden from a graveyard. I mean, like from an actual graveyard. Which well, that's is, where all their voters are. So it was, it was a little, <laughs> I mean, right, right in Illinois. Although, again, uh, like I think that endorsing Joe Biden from a graveyard is just too on the nose. It really is not. It's not appropriate, frankly. And they, they had her sing a kind of bizarre little ditty. And then they had Common do like a 25 minute music video from the end of Selma. And then they had Billy Porter, who I'd never heard of until the last three years when he started, I guess, getting up at, at major events in women's in women's garb and, and receiving all sorts of plaudits from the media for this. But he's now like a, a big thing, I guess. And so he did the weirdest version of a Buffalo Springfield song from 1966, written about the Sunset Strip riots, which were essentially a bunch of young people who were too much of a pain in the ass to go home at 10 o'clock at night and broke curfew and then rioted over it. And this was supposed to be the big uplift of the Democratic Party. Like, why is it that Cory Booker doing bad comedy with Bernie Sanders was slightly more entertaining mm. than the people who are the professional... Enter they brought Sarah Cooper. Like, who the hell is Sarah Cooper? Why am I... Why is Sarah Cooper lecturing me about voter fraud? Like, this is the lady who just mouths words to, to Donald Trump and is on TikTok or something. Why don't you get Tom Hanks? Like, they used to bring Tom Hanks. I want the old days when it used to be like a real cavalcade of stars. Yeah, I, absolutely. I feel like uh, they didn't bring their A game. I mean, we've been saving the Clavin here for the last six months. None of us have seen him, seen him in person, much like Joe Biden. Uh, he's been <laughs> locked in a basement. Uh, not coming out. But look at him. He's beautiful. Look at that frame. He's got a beautiful, well-lit set there behind him. He's looking good. And I, a sense of humor. And a sense of humor. <laughs> I actually, and a pulse. Yeah. I actually just don't understand how they could have done such a bad job, and, and unless it was on purpose. And this is the idea that I wanted to throw out to you guys. Was it actually deliberate hmm. to, have it, uh, to have it look as underground as it did? Because it's their way of saying, we take COVID seriously. Hmm. We're the only ones who take it seriously. We're, we're so serious about it that we're willing to look bad. In other words, is even that horrible production we just saw just a form of virtue signaling? That might be. That's, you know, that's actually a good theory. It's a good theory. I, actually, I, I was wondering, there were times during this that I was wondering whether they were actually trolling people. I mean, Elizabeth Warren addressing the Native American uh, people, mm. uh, uh, you know, Bill Clinton, uh, you know, talking about uh, how chaotic things were in the Oval Office. Uh, yeah. Hillary Clinton still lamenting the fact that she Dude, was robbed. They put Stacey you know? Abrams on the governor's panel, which is and the Stacey, single yeah, greatest I, troll I, of all time. That's so I, fantastic. I truly thought, I, th I truly thought that they were so, they're so confident that they are so confident yeah. that they have sold us hatred of Donald Trump that they don't think they can lose. I, I really do think that. I think that they are beyond feeling that they are, are vulnerable. They are putting up this guy who is just a full bodysuit disguise for the far left. Mm -hmm. You know, that's all he is. And Kamala Harris, whose history of corruption is so dense that if Trump wakes up and starts going after her for that, uh, he can talk forever about what she's done. She is a corrupt public official, yeah. a, 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 an actual genuine corrupt public official, the kind we used to put in jail. And they're so vulnerable, and yet they seem so confident. It's worrying. I think that uh, our pals over at Reagan Battalion, this was sort of their take on it. Every day they would tweet out uh, the list of all the absurdities. Bill Clinton talking about propriety in the Oval Office, Barack Obama talking about love of constitutional protections and separation <laughs> of powers. 
uh, Michelle Obama talking about deep love of the country. Uh, it's a, it, you're right. Maybe they, maybe the whole thing is a troll. It wouldn't be the first time that they thought they could not possibly lose uh, to Donald Trump. We'll talk a little bit more about all that. Right now, though, I want to talk about our friends over at Stamps.com. We've been telling you about Stamps.com for a long time here on the show, uh, and that's because we've been using Stamps.com for a long time here at The Daily Wire. L.A. has bad traffic. Well, it used to back when people went to work. We don't like to be on the road in bad traffic, and our solution has been to use Stamps.com. You should do it, too. Everyone's slowly adjusting to the new normal. You have to be smart about how you do business. Luckily, you have Stamps.com to make things easier. Thousands of small business owners have discovered the benefits of Stamps.com in recent months. Proud to say we discovered it a little bit before that. They've been able to keep their businesses running and avoid crowds at post office, all from their own computers. With Stamps.com, you can print postage on demand and avoid going to the post office. Look, you want to do this. Save yourself money. Save yourself time. Don't go out in the world uh, and, and interact. I'm not telling you to be afraid to go out in the world and interact. I'm telling you to be afraid of going to the post office and interacting with people who aren't smart enough to have already gotten Stamps.com. You don't want to be around those people. Stamps.com is going to make your business and your personal life more successful. They offer all the services of the UPS, uh, but with discounts of up to 62% and no residential surcharges. Here at Daily Wire, been using them since 2017. Benjamin. Well, right now, our listeners get a special offer. It includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale, no long-term commitments. And again, you get all these big discounts. You get five cents off every, every stamp, up to 62% off USPS and UPS shipping rates. You're going to save time. You're going to save money. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Shapiro for the special deal again. Go to stamps.com, microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro and get the special deal. So we can talk about all of the things that they... Uh What's all the, the thing things you hated that were the most. What's that? What's the thing you hated the most? The thing I hated the most about yeah. the TNC? Well, yeah. all, all of it. Watching it was awful. <laughs> I, I have to admit that the thing that I hated the most about the DNC was the speech by Barack Obama. Yeah. I, I can't tell you, first of all, how despicable I found his speech to be. Obviously, his it was a historic slam and damn jamming. Uh, I can't remember the Anderson Cooper stuff. Uh, it was a very historic speech because we've never seen a former president get up and lay into a sitting uh, successor in the way that. Barack Obama did. He's always seen himself as a historic figure, and, and he proved it. But I just have to be honest. I've just been so glad over the last four years not to have to listen yeah. to that blowhard, the only guy in Simple. the history of the country to think that he was slumming in the presidency, to think that he was too good from the job from the minute that he got it. He was the kind of guy who makes the ocean stop rising, and then we made him go to work and put on a tie every day. Yeah. And I think he resented the country for it. Hearing him back on the national stage, especially in such an ugly uh, situation. I, I found I, it to be a low. I, I totally agree with this. I mean, the, the, the part about Barack Obama that I've always found the most disquieting is his ability and willingness to hijack America's founding documents yes. and then pretend that he stands with those founding documents when in reality he stands against virtually every founding principle of the country because progressives have stood against those founding principles for the last 120 years. The, Barack Obama does this routine. I, I was hearing conservatives being like, well, wasn't it great that he was at least saying that while the Constitution had problems with it, at least we can have the mechanisms of the Constitution that still work. And I kept saying to them, the principles of the Constitution, which are undergirded in the Declaration, are pretty specific, right? Natural rights that pre-exist government, a government instituted to protect those rights, a limited government of enumerated powers, checks and balances, right? Those are the actual principles of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Barack Obama reduced that while standing in the, this hall let, let's in let, honor let's of the American Revolution. Let's see what he said. Here's Barack Obama on the Constitution. I'm in Philadelphia, where our Constitution was drafted and signed. It wasn't a perfect document. It allowed for the inhumanity of slavery and failed to guarantee women, and even men who didn't own property, the right to participate in the political process. But embedded in this document was a North Star that would guide future generations. A system of representative government, a democracy, through which we could better realize our highest ideals. I'm sorry to interrupt just on this, but I have to correct the record. <laughs> what he said is not true. Yeah. This idea, first of all, that obviously women did not vote in large numbers at the time that the Constitution was ratified, but some women did. In the state of New Jersey, women did vote. This, this idea about slavery, that, that the framers of our country decided, okay, well, we'll let the slavery question pass to another day. This was an extraordinarily hot topic at the Constitutional Convention. They did more to guarantee the end of slavery than anybody else had done in the Western world. And, and what was the alternative? 
alternative to allow there not to be oh. any union, and then you have no way to abolish slavery. It's just, just on the factual points, he's wrong. But the, but, but, but the part of it that's really despicable, and this is what he's been doing for years. He did it in his second inaugural, and I was the only person who got really irritated by this. He would cite the Declaration of Independence, and then he would say things like, but we don't all have to have the same definition of liberty, which is exactly what is at the heart of the Declaration of Independence, is that we do have the same definition. of. It's, in fact, that's the only thing we basically have to agree on. Here, he says that what the Constitution boils down to is not equal protection before the law. It is not individual rights that preexist government. It is not that all men are created equal. It's none of those things. It's simply voting. Right, it's representative government. And when he says representative government, he doesn't mean checks and balances. He doesn't like any of those checks and balances. He's come out against the filibuster. He's in favor of adding Puerto Rico and, and, um, and D.C. As, as states with pure majoritarian representation, right, just to stack the United States Senate. He's in favor of stacking the courts. He has said this openly. I mean, this is not a person who believes in any of the actual principles of the Constitution. The founders were not pure mob rule majoritarians by any stretch of the imagination, which no, is why what makes... the beauty of the Constitution is that it protects... Minority rights. I mean, that's that's the whole point. He actually said he actually said that the people demonstrating in Portland and on the streets were the dream fulfilled of the Constitution. When in fact fact, they were the nightmare, the actual nightmare of the founders was that that kind of representative democracy would lead to mob rule. So everything it actually was like opposite day, and it was very disturbing to see. And again, very disturbing to me to watch the press, which used to be a good institution in this country, to watch the press just absolutely go right back into their what I call their O face. Now Uh, they go and back right into their <laughs> own face, you know, just loving in ecstasy at this president. And it, it just reminds you again that it's not the way they cover Donald Trump that's so disgusting, though it is dis- even Trump who deserves some of it. It is disgusting. But it's the way they cover Obama yes. and then cover Trump. And well, before the way that, that they w. cover Barack Obama destroyed the media in America. Yeah, that, that's yeah. actually his most lasting contribution as president. He came along and because of the unique superficial aspects. This is the amazing thing about it. It isn't the uh, deeper things about Barack Obama. It's purely the superficial ones uh, created an environment where the press could not in any way be critical of him. Yeah. They, he, he, he was almost like, ta- you couldn't construct a better figure to be immune from any sort of uh, criticism from the press. And so after eight years of that, they have no credibility left, right? And you could almost say that in their attacks on Trump, they're trying to overcompensate uh, to show that no, we are still a vibrant, hold you know, speak uh, institution that speaks truth to power. But it, right, democracy dies in darkness, and all yeah, that. democracy but, dies yeah. in. Darkness. But it, it is true that the the orgasmic level of coverage, the journalismic, you know, yeah. the journalism was just getting everywhere. Well, this uh, it was it was really sticky and awful. Uh, the, the the fact that they were journalisming all over the place, <laughs> the way that they were after after Obama's speech, uh, it was it was really disturbing. And and there, there's something that, that Obama does, and it's clever. But Democrats have been doing it for 60 years, and there that is this inside outside game where they say democracy works when we win. When we lose, democracy isn't working, so you need to get out in the streets. And that's what he did during the speech. He said, the protesters are democracy fulfilled, but I'm here to tell you that the system of democracy does work. So if you vote and you elect people like us, then we will do the work for you. Okay, what that really is, is to all Americans who are not voting for Democrats, that is tacit blackmail. That is, if you do not vote for us, we will allow these riots and looting and all of this stuff, which, by the way, eight hours of coverage in prime time, not a single mention of a riot, not a single mention of looting, not a single mention of property destruction. By the way, not a single mention of Chinese repression or Chinese aggression, not a single mention of Iran, not a single mention of any of these things. Right. It's just hunky dory out there, apparently, particularly in protest land. But there actually was a reference to Iran, wasn't there? Uh, If we elect. Joe Biden, we're going to be back in the Iran, the Iran deal, which is yeah, really yeah, exciting, right. really exciting. Yeah, I actually, I actually want to talk about Ben, what you just brought up. It, is it the case that the argument that that Democrats are making is vote for us and maybe we'll stop burning down your cities? Is it yes. truly the, the case that they're saying vote for us and maybe you'll get to go back to work? Yes. And have a job again. Yeah. Is it blackmail? I mean, I've always noticed I, when they say when they say these riots are mostly peaceful, I immediately think of the mafia protection rackets. You know, mm, they, yeah. gee, they didn't they didn't blow up my store. They're mostly peaceful. Yeah. And that is that is effectively what they're saying. And it even goes deeper than that, because in in frequently in tyrannical countries, there's not a lot of crime in the street. The repression is so tough that the crime that people are afraid, you know, because you get executed or whipped or whatever uh, if you commit a minor crime. So there's not a lot of crime in the streets, but all that crime is sucked into the government. The government are the ones who are committing the crimes against liberty and against people. And that's what they're essentially saying. We'll stop rioting in the streets, but the the goals of the rioters, which are anti-American per se, uh, will infest our government. By the way, on the the lockdown point that you're making, this is 100 percent true. I mean, you could, they, they featured Andrew Cuomo, who killed 11,000 nursing home patients, right? 
They featured Andrew Cuomo, who has a new book called American Crisis, Leadership During COVID-19. He's the worst governor Just in leading America. leading them right into the nursing home. I mean, I mean they should have called the book If I Did It, yeah. right? If I Did It by Andrew Cuomo, because that is so unbelievably astonishing. But I mean, I was pointing out there are certain things that people have just stopped looking at. New York State had yesterday a grand total of, I believe, seven deaths. New Jersey, the entire state, had a grand total of eight deaths yesterday from COVID. Not that they occurred yesterday, that were reported yesterday, which probably means that it's lower than seven or eight deaths in those states. Manhattan had zero deaths and 64 total diagnosed cases of COVID-19, and they're not reopening anything. Of course. Which, so now, now there's no way to argue that's not political because... There, like the metric doesn't exist by which you cannot open under these circumstances. That's crazy talk. But I mean, it's like New Zealand. There's no argument going on anymore. You know, it's, it's to yeah. this point on democracy. Is it really democracy if there's only one choice? Because that's what they're telling you. This is democracy and there's only one choice. And if you don't vote for that choice, it's not democracy. And this is an argument that the progressives have been, have been making at least since Woodrow Wilson, which is that it's all well and good and wonderful and American as long as you vote for us. But there is an end of history. There is a progressive utopia. We're going there. And if you stand in the way, you're evil in some way or you're extremely stupid. It's why Barack Obama, contrary to the very popular belief, is not a good orator. I know that I know if you listen to the mainstream media, Ryan Lizza, the left-wing journalist said, it was the greatest convention speech it, just after his previous convention speech was, was the best. Neither, he had to take a cold shower after the speech. I know he did. He had to go log off Twitter because he's not a good orator. Barack Obama has given like one and a half good speeches. His concession in New Hampshire was pretty good. The rest are not that good. Think of that first concession, uh, convention speech. He said, there, there's not a red America. There's not a blue America. There's the United States of America. Wow. Pericles, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Incredible. <laughs> he just utters these platitudes because he and the whole Democratic Party believe that they are on the correct path of history to then to use your, your phrase, the right side of history. It, it's going to end up there and they don't need to make arguments. Compare that to the oratory of Lincoln, our actual greatest orator. He was making extraordinarily dense cogent arguments, logical arguments. The left feels they don't need to make those arguments because they've taken authentic politics out, out from us. We, we no longer have that debate. They just have to win. And without journalism, you know, without journalism, there's no one to talk about what is not being said. So for instance, Michelle Obama mentioned what, what a great job Joe Biden did during the Ebola uh, crisis. But Ebola is not a disease that spreads very easily. During the H1N1 uh, pandemic or the yep. uh, flu, that flu, that was a complete foul up by that administration. If that, had that, been as, if that had been as bad as uh, COVID-19, it, it would have been an absolute slaughter. Millions of people literally would have died by their own admission, by the admission of the right. people in the administration at the time. They said they said we screwed this up. It was just luck that we got away with this the way we did. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing that I think a journalist should reference a, a, a journalist on both sides. They should do it to Trump. They should do it to the DNC. But when you only have them like clutching their chests and, and rolling their eyes at how beautiful it is, you really are cheating the public of a fair look. Now, I, it doesn't bother me that politicians lie. That's part of their job. It doesn't bother me that they support their team over the other team. That's part of their job. It really bothers me that the refs are bought off. I mean, the referees, mm -hmm. who are, the journalists who are supposed to be the referees at some level uh, have been paid off. And that's because you don't understand what the media is for, Drew. <laughs> I, know, I know. So I want to tell you Silly guys about, about my second uh, least favorite moment that happened in the convention. But first, I want to talk about our friends at Policy Genius. I've been telling you guys now uh, for a couple of months about my own personal experience of getting uh, a life insurance policy for first for myself and then a policy for uh, Mrs. Boring from Policy Genius. Both of those have been accomplished. If you haven't already gotten your policy, what you're waiting for, you need life insurance policy, especially if you find yourself in a position of responsibility for other people, for a family, for children, then you want to take care of them. The way that you do that especially with things as difficult as they are in the world today, is with a life insurance policy, and there's no better place to get it than Policy Genius. Look, I tried other places. I actually tried other places just as a control in the experiment to see if Policy Genius was as good as they say they are. I went to some other websites and tried it out to see what they would give us, and the answer is yes. Policy Genius is as good as they say. It is as convenient as they say. It couldn't be faster, it couldn't be easier, and it couldn't be more important. Right now, you could save $1,500 or more every year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies from a variety of servers. When you're shopping for a policy that could last for a decade or more, those savings really start to add up. People ask me, what is Policy Genius? Well, it's basically, it's an insurance marketplace. It's built and backed by a team of industry experts, and here's how it works. Step one, you head over to policygenius.com. In just minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find the best price. Step two, 
you apply for the lowest price. Even I could figure it out. They stacked up all the different prices, and I was able to, and with this brain of mine, pick the lowest one and click on it. Step three, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and all of the red tape. They even scheduled, in my case, someone to come over, even in the era of COVID, to come by the office and do uh, the physical that I needed for my policy. They did all the work, not the insurance company. I actually hit a few snags. I needed to reschedule. I didn't have to call uh, the medical practitioner. I had to call Policy Genius. They handled everything. They even have policies which allow eligible customers to skip all of that hassle, like the medical exam, uh, and do it over the phone. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. But you don't need those reviews because I just gave you the best review. I used it. It worked. I used it for my wife. It worked for her. Even Ben Shapiro used it. That's the soft sell, the hard sell. You're going to die. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you this. Uh, it yeah. may not happen today. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. And this is why you need to head on over to Policy Genius right now and get started. You could save $1,500 or more a year by comparing quotes on their marketplace. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it is nice and very important to get it right. Go check out policygenius.com right now. So I want to tell you about my second favorite moment, uh, my second least, least favorite. favorite. I guess it's my favorite because I enjoy being angry at the DNC. <laughs> we have a clip of it. It's clip number five. And this is, you know, Andrew Cuomo comes out and he says one of the craziest lines of the oh, whole yeah, convention. He said that, that COVID-19 is a symptom. It's not the disease. It's like it's thinking like that that gets every old person in a 12 city. <laughs> he, he, called, he called it a metaphor. 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 And all I could think of was European the old Jack Handy joke. Right, that my grandmother used to say that laughter was the best medicine, which is why seven of us died of dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> but my least favorite moment was actually, and I know that we're supposed to be very sensitive to these sorts of issues, uh, but when they trotted out the daughter of a Trump supporter who died of COVID-19, I think we have the clip, and then I'm going to tell you everything that's wrong with it. Let's, let's run the clip. My dad, Mark Anthony Urquiza, should be here today, but he isn't. He had faith in Donald Trump. He voted for him, listened to him, believed him and his mouthpieces when they said that coronavirus was under control and going to disappear, that it was okay to end social distancing rules before it was safe, and that if you had no underlying health conditions, you'd probably be fine. My dad was a healthy 65-year-old. His only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump and for that, he paid with his life. So I'm sorry. This is the most despicable thing that I've ever seen in American politics. First of all, this Kristen Orquiza, terrible that her uh, father died. But this is uh, egregious behavior on her part. She is essentially telling you that her father is a rube who deserved what he got. He deserved to die because he backed a politician that she doesn't like. Uh, the fact that the Democrats would trot her out like this uh, and let her make this kind of statement on national television is despicable. And can we please one time have a DNC where they don't actually accuse the, the Republican candidate of murder? I mean, how many in a row is this where they say literally someone comes out and says death follows this person being elected president? Everything about this uh, is terrible. And I know we're not supposed to talk bad about someone like Kristen Rikiza because she went through a tragedy. What she did there is despicable. And the only excuse uh, is grief, even though she actually demonstrates no grief. Uh, in the clip. The only grief she actually talks about is uh, having the sads that her dad uh, was apparently wrong about orange man bad. I thought that this was as low as it gets. Yeah. I mean, I hope that, you know, I'll say that I think that maybe she's coming from like an actual genuine place of grief and this is all misguided, but it was insane. It was insane. Yeah. I mean, first of all, the suggestion seems to be that if you didn't believe Donald Trump, you lived, which is a real hot take. I mean, 33,000 people <laughs> died in New York. Last I checked, he didn't win New York, and then another 16,000 or so died in New Jersey, and he didn't win New Jersey. And then another 10,000 or so died in Massachusetts, he didn't win Massachusetts. Turns out a lot of people died, mostly in major cities that are blue. So if we're going to go with, like, how people voted dictated whether they died of COVID, then I have a feeling that's not going to go fantastically well. But that, that, that basic notion that she puts out there, like, it, mm. as you say, the only way that this makes any logical sense is if what she's basically saying is my dad drank the fish tank cleaner. Right. Which it's like that story that they tried to try out at the very beginning when Trump was like, you should try hydroxychloroquine. And then, and then that woman somebody, and then a woman murdered her husband, her. probably <laughs> right? now, allegedly murdered her husband by feeding him the fish tank cleaner and being like, Donald Trump told me that my husband should take this cyanide. I can't believe Donald Trump killed my husband. Also, I took out a life insurance policy one day before. But Donald Trump told me to do that. Too. Like yeah. it, it was it was sort of like that. It is. 
you're, you're right. They, they've been doing this now for like several conventions in a row. And 2004 yeah. was all about Bush and Iraq. And then it was about and then it was about Romney being a terrible, terrible person who killed a woman of cancer yeah. right, right by by Bain Capital, buying out a business and restructuring it or something. Yeah. Uh, so th this is it, it's nothing new, but it was the, the blaming of covid, like the willingness by every single politician in America, apparently to blame Donald Trump for the ravages of covid. Biden did it himself, too. When Biden was pledging, well, I'm going to end COVID. By the way, Biden's list of promises, pretty extensive. He promises to stop every threat seen and unseen. Yeah, let's play that clip because it really is just uh, jaw-dropping. Here's, here's Joe Biden. Being alive. Our current president has failed in his most basic duty to the nation. He's failed to protect us. He's failed to protect America. And my fellow Americans, that is unforgivable. As president, I'll make you a promise. I'll protect America. I will defend us from every attack, seen and unseen, always, without exception, every time. Wow. Also, he pledges never to give you up, never to let you down, <laughs> not to run around and desert you. Yeah. He will never make you cry. He will never say goodbye. He will never tell a lie or hurt you. Well, did you, did you see here uh, what Joe Biden left out of that speech is what he said at the beginning of COVID, which is that we shouldn't shut down travel from China. He called Trump's travel ban a hysterical xenophobia, to use his words. And I think so there's this this kind of formal aspect of why it was so wrong to launch this attack. There's also the substance, though. All these Democratic politicians handled COVID way worse than Donald Trump. That's and right. Andrew Cuomo, his policies are directly responsible for the deaths of thousands of elderly New Yorkers. Nancy Pelosi. But that's just a metaphor. Oh, it's a metaphor. For how bad Andrew Cuomo is at his job. No, you're right. You make that good point. When was Nancy Pelosi going to say, hey, come on down to Chinatown like she did without a mask, no social distancing at the start of COVID? I guess with what they're banking on is what we've been talking about all night, which is that the press are going to fawn over them. They're not going to call them out for any of this. And it's a it's a total fantasy. So this brings me to my theory on how Donald Trump could be guaranteed to win the election. You guys want to hear it? I want to hear it. Yeah. Donald Trump gets eight primetime hours next week for the RNC. If the RNC had been first uh, before the DNC, my strategy would not work because I actually think the media would just not play it. Since they played all eight hours in primetime of the DNC, they have to play the RNC. I think that they should put two giant screens up and no matter who is speaking, during the national anthem, during the benediction, during the president's speech, during the vice president's speech, uh, the entire time, they should be playing... Uh, footage of the riots in Portland and the riots in Seattle and the Chaz zone and all the violence that's happening all across this country. Because the media will not tell yeah. people the truth about these protests. When he's tried this trick before, uh, they actually have pulled, even Fox yeah. News shut down the feed so that you couldn't see it. Yeah. They can't do that with the actual Republican National Convention. And if they do, they give him the presidency again just by, uh, so dare them. He should run it for all eight hours, uh, even when he's not talking about it, and dare them not to play it. Because here's my theory. People actually vote, and in particular, uh, suburban housewives vote on the basis of how a candidate makes them feel. In the case of George W. Bush, he made them feel safe, as opposed to John Kerry, who seemed inconsistent. Flip-flop, flip-flop. You remember this? It was, it was a great uh, a way of framing John Kerry vis-a-vis -vis George W. Bush, because one makes you feel safe, and the other makes you feel insecure. In the case of Barack Obama, Barack Obama made people feel uh, noble and virtuous, yeah. and they were able to feel good about themselves when they voted for him. Donald Trump made people feel empowered yeah. in 2016. He made people feel like they could have a voice when they hadn't had one before. But his behavior since then makes people feel insecure because he's bombastic, because he's boorish. You're a little, he makes you a little embarrassed. Even people who are going to vote for him, often they'll say, eh, I hate that I have to vote for him, but look at the other guy. Uh, that means there's a whole other range of people who won't vote for him who have that exact same sentiment, but are just breaking the other way. He has to not let this be a referendum on Donald Trump. If it's a referendum on Donald Trump, Donald Trump will lose. He needs to make it a referendum on the left. They've overplayed their hand. The president's job for the next two months, and especially next week, should be to use the power of his pulpit to shine a light on what the Democrats are actually doing. You don't have to know what they will do when they win. They're doing stuff right now, and every bit of it is bad. If you could put a camera in the morgues in New York City, I'd say you should do that. Uh, but that's not the way that the world works. But, so, so he should instead focus in on these riots and let people know you should feel worse. This is what the Democrats are banking on. Basically, Ben, you made this point. They offered no affirmative message at their convention. Bar uh, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were actually afterthoughts, to use your language, Ben. It was all about orange man, bad, orange man, bad. 
uh, Donald Trump needs to actually invert that and say, yeah, it's actually, it's not about me either. It is actually about them. They are worse. You know, we have friends uh, in the sort of never Trump movement uh, who basically they're going to support Joe Biden for the presidency. And when I listen to their arguments, the arguments all come back to Donald Trump is such a threat to our societal norms that even though we like his policies better, like every one of them is more happy that we have Brett Kavanaugh as a Supreme Court justice than they would be to have another Sotomayor, for example, uh, on the court. Every one of them is pro-life. Every one of them wants lower taxes. But what they're basically saying is none of our policy preferences matter compared to the damage that Donald Trump does to our actual societal norms. And my response is the Democrats are running communist riots (laughs) in major American cities, burning things to the ground. They've broken the economy. They've shut down churches. They've shut down all social interactions. They're openly against free, not just the First Amendment, but every aspect of the First Amendment. They're against free exercise. They're against free assembly, unless your Black Lives Matter. They're against uh, free speech, unless you're saying the things that they have approved of. They're against the Second Amendment. They're against due process. They're actually saying that due process yeah. is a is a white mm-hmm. uh, supremacy. Yeah, it's a supremacist institution. They're against trial by jury. You'll get accused of a sexual assault on any American college campus and raise the idea that you're entitled to a, uh, a trial by a jury of your peers. They're against the Electoral College. They're against every piece of the fr- of the actual framework of our society. The ex- Listen, is Donald Trump uh, a threat to some of our societal norms? Yeah, I think he is. But he's the lesser threat to our societal norms. Uh, the Democrats are violently opposed to our, and I use violence as a literal term, violently opposed to our societal norms. And the president has the power to force the media to cover that next week. Mm. And he would do a far better job doing that than getting up there and doing his usual Donald Trump, they don't like me. You know, the nice thing about conspiracy theorists is they do like me. Stop that. Talk about the actual threat that the left. But it could be. I just I, I agree I really, with everything I, you've said. But it could I, be a I, yes and, right? It could be. Yeah, yeah I agree <laughs> with that. Yeah, that's that's just what I was. I was going to say that because you know the one thing he's been doing lately, and again, this is something I advised him to do. <laughs> he's listened to all my advice and turned his campaign around, in my opinion. But the thing is, I think I think your idea about playing the riots absolutely great idea. That's that is absolutely true. He should also play Joe Biden's list of things he would have done. Uh, if if he had been handling the Chinese flu, because Trump has done them all. Every single thing that he said he was going to do, Trump has already done. And I think that one of the jokes he's been making recently is people. some people don't like me. Maybe it's my personality. The other day, he said it even funnier. He said, some people don't like me. I don't know what it is. It couldn't be my personality. <laughs> and I think that I think that that is a really good line, because first of all, you know, he does need to appeal to women. Women get that with men. <laughs> that sometimes yeah, men are they never handy like to have us. around. They never like us. <laughs> who, who would? I mean, come on. Who would? You know, they they have good taste. And I, I just think that it is a good argument that like I do the yeah. right thing. And yeah, I'm I'm bumptious. You know, that's 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 the way it is. Well, if if Trump has the discipline, if the DN, if the RNC has the discipline to do it, it could be a, a true uh, turnaround thing. Speaking of women, Alicia. let's toss to the one that we have via satellite hey guys i just wanted to remind everyone watching that we are going to be having an all access live after the show with jeremy ben michael me the woman and drew who believe it or not is younger than joe biden so the thing is you have to be an all access member to talk with us if you're a member be sure to click the link in the description wherever you're watching this once the show ends to join in on the discussion and we have a limited time offer because all good sales are very limited going on right now so you can participate. Become a Daily Wire All Access member for 20% off with the coupon code ACCESS to join the fun. If you don't know how to spell ACCESS, I'll spell it out for you. A-C-C-E-S-S. That's for all of you distance learning public schoolers out there who weren't taught properly. And a bunch of comments are actually coming through already. VW says, hey everyone, thank you for going through the torture of watching the DNC so we could be spared. You are so selfless. HT says, uh, wants to know if we made Matt watch the DNC because he's being punished for not coming on backstage ever. (laughs) And KB says that Cory Booker's fake laugh is the stuff of nightmares, mm-hmm. but I actually think it might be worse than Kamala's. No, I don't know. That's not a possible thing. <laughs> no, 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 that's not a possible no. thing. <laughs> now, there isn't. There's nothing on planet Earth that is as horrifying as Kamala Harris's fake laugh when asked an awkward question. I mean, it's, it's a so, debate. Kamala it's Harris, Hillary, a, a debate. It's a debate. A debate. Uh, yeah, that's an that's an amazing line. When oh, when she said man. that, and it's like, yeah, so I'm a liar. <laughs> So the guys already want to talk about this. So maybe we'll talk about this and much more during the all access discussion after the show.
Thank you, Elisha. Hey guys, why don't you have a ring? I mean, we've been telling you about ring now at this company for four years. If you don't have a ring. If you like it, you, should, you better put a ring on it. If you <laughs> like it, then you better put a ring on it. You gotta get a ring. It's the only way to keep your safe house, to keep your house safe and to keep an eye on your house uh, when you're not there, to see those packages that are being left and stolen. It's a huge problem happening in Los Angeles right now uh, is that uh, I think our buddy Dave Rubin keeps actually releasing videos from his ring camera of people stealing his mail. We live in these strange times where we go out less and we order a lot more on the internet. And, you know, there are people who are up to no good. They've realized they've changed their behavior too. And they camp out waiting for the UPS guy to walk down the street and they follow right behind him and steal your stuff. With Ring, you get the kind of security that you need. They have products for every corner of your home, inside and out. Best of all, you can see it all on one simple app. With Ring, you can keep an eye on your home no matter where you are, right from your phone. If someone stops by, if something's going on, Ring lets you know. It's peace of mind anytime knowing that your home is protected. They're defunding the police. They're emptying the jails. You've got valuable things sitting in front of your house on the stoop. You need to get Ring. Every one of us here at The Daily Wire uses Ring, and every one of us here at The Daily Wire feels safer as a result. The first adapter, of course, because he could afford things that back when the rest of us were poor. We're just shoveling every dollar that came into the company uh, over to Ben with, with our muscles and backs. We have no muscles anymore because we got rich too. But Ben <laughs> was the first one to buy Ring, and he's been protecting his house with it. Uh, these last five years. Indeed. And now I'm both safe and wealthy. So go check out <laughs> ring.com. Get a special offer on the ring welcome kit at ring.com slash backstage. It comes with ring video doorbell three and chime pro the perfect way to start your ring experience plus free two day shipping. Go to ring.com slash backstage. Once again, that is ring.com slash backstage for the special offer on the ring welcome kit ring.com slash backstage. So we've talked about all the things we hated about the convention. Now I want to tell you what I actually did like about it. I love I love this in politics. I thought our side was always guilty of it. I didn't know that their side could be much, much worse. I love it when people in politics talk about the Ute. Mm -hmm. They love to talk about the Ute. The Ute are the future. You know, you, Barack Obama had this whole line in there. And to the young people who've been burning down our cities, beating people <laughs> in the head with bricks and smashing windows, you are democracy in action. You are the future. Uh, you're better than any of the young people who ever went before you because you're still young and they all got old. <laughs> Every one of them now is old and they had to be convinced not to be racist, but you weren't racist from day one. You're the best Ute ever to Ute. <laughs> and then they gave Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez yeah. 60 seconds yeah. to talk uh, at the DNC. And this is what politicians always do. They pay lip service to young people because they know that young people are rubes and they also know that the young people won't actually turn out to vote. Then when it comes to actually entrusting anything to young people, they basically say, put a couple flags behind her and let her talk for 60 seconds. I think we actually, here's what she had to say. In fidelity and gratitude to a mass people's movement working to establish 21st century social, economic, and human rights, including guaranteed healthcare, higher education, living wages, and labor rights for all people, in the United States, a movement striving to recognize and repair the wounds of racial injustice, colonization, misogyny, and homophobia. That clip is going to play on a loop at the gulag, and it will be the last sound you ever hear. <laughs> I got to say, I, I said before I didn't think Sarah Cooper was funny, but that she is. She's hilarious. She's great. That was hilarious. Wait. Oh, no, they, oh. <laughs> that, she, the, the pinball machine of crazy leftist terminology right there. It's spectacular. Oh, I mean, man. it was just lighting up nonstop there in one go. She nails racial injustice, misogyny, homophobia, colonization. Yeah. It's like she's yeah. a little late on the colonization bandwagon, I feel like. Like, she, like I, I hear that argument being made during no, like the Mexican-American War. But I feel like she, right now she is wasn't the only person to bring up uh, colonization. The, there was a clip a, a little bit earlier, clip number two. This is remarkable. This is actually someone saying what the Democrat Party supports. This is, yep. this is the thesis statement of the 2020 Democrats. This is Here. from the Youth Council. Youth. This future that we all want, that we're all trying to build, um, really is about the destruction of colonization, white supremacy, and capitalism. We must, uh, we must really move away from these uh, systems and these frameworks if we really want to live in a future that does have a regenerative economy and um, does enable liberation and equity for our communities. Drew, you haven't been young in decades. Did any of that make sense to you? <laughs> you know, it makes it makes a kind of crazy sense. What, what doesn't make sense to me 
this is the thing. I always wonder this about AOC because I think of all of them, of all of the uh, people in that movement, AOC actually strikes me as an ignoramus. She just strikes me as somebody who doesn't know anything, but she doesn't strike me as insincere. Like I actually mm. think she kind of buys what she's saying. And what gets me is why they never ask themselves, if we're socialists, how come every gigantic corporation in America is supporting us? Why yeah. is it that places like Amazon, which is making gazillions of dollars, why is it why are they sending like guys like me who want to read like poetry? Why are they sending me, you know, recommending these, uh, white, you know, anti-white, anti-racist things? You know, why doesn't it occur to them that the richest donors in the country, like, for instance, of the 10 richest donors in the country, nine of them supported Barack Obama. How come it never occurs to them that the people that they're supposed to hate are on their side and, and something may be wrong, that maybe they're pawns, maybe they're being used? You know, talk about using the youth. They're not just using the youth. They're using the socialists and they're using the rioters yeah. Yeah. Uh, to get what they want. And this is something that is supporting these globalist, humongous corporations that are now really a greater threat to some of our freedoms than the government. Well, you saw this tension come out with the uh, DNC, which is that they've been stoking, as you say, the riots and these young people to go out and talk about how terrible America is. But they realize that burning the American flag and toppling George Washington does not exactly play well in Peoria. So they have to limit the, the amount of AOC time. Uh, unfortunately for them, because it's a Zoom convention, we can get all the little clips from the youth caucus and then push them out there so we actually do get to see them. But you, you see it really just in Andrew Cuomo, right? Which is that these youths are saying what the Democrats have really believed for a long time. But the youths are actually saying, it. So Andrew Cuomo comes out and he says, we're America tough. America builds back. We're the greatest country ever, right? But 18 months ago, Andrew Cuomo said, we're not going to make America great again because America was never mm -hmm. that great. Direct quote. That's what they don't like America. They're literally setting the flag on fire and they realize that for an election, they've got to play up the patriotism. So Cuomo, trained, practiced liars like him can get that sort of thing done. Biden, Obama, all those guys. But those youths, you got to maybe constrain them to 60 seconds of anti-colonialism or whatever, and then move on. This is the, the really wondrous thing about, about how the DNC works. So we only see the prime time. The prime time is basically just the Tinder profile, right? I mean, the prime time is where you put up a picture <laughs> of like, you know, Brad Pitt on your dating profile, and then actually you look like Steve Bannon. Yeah. Right. And, and, and this, and, and. Not supposed to do that. <laughs> and, and, the, and all of these stuff that's happening during the day is what's actually bubbling under the surface and over the surface in the Democratic Party. So for eight hours, you got no indicator of exactly what Democrats were going to do, except that they don't like guns. Right. I mean, they, they're big on the gun control. They put that yeah. in prime time and they like the environment, apparently. And that means that Gavin Newsom is going to go stand amongst the trees hiding from James Comey. But aside from that, you really have no clue what their actual policies are because they didn't talk about any of their policies. All they talked about the entire time was that Donald Trump is a big, bad, orange, mean, fat, bad, mean man who's orange, right? That was the entire pitch. And that's why you know, Joe Biden never had to mention Trump's name in his speech, and he didn't, because his entire pitch was, I'm empathetic. So first of all, on empathy, empathy is a terrible quality in a politician. You don't actually want empathy in a politician. It's one thing to say you want sympathy from a politician. If you want empathy in a politician, there's an entire book by a, a, soci a sociologist named Paul Bloom about how empathy actually perverts public policy because when you put yourself in the position of one specific other person, you're ignoring all of the other people that you can't be empathetic to by nature. So when, when they do this whole, I want a politician who cares about me, Joe Biden said this too. He said, my father used to say, I don't care, you know, I don't, I'm not asking government to solve my problems, but I want government to understand my problems. I thought to myself, like at the DMV or what? Like who? When, whenever somebody says they want the government to under, have you ever thought like as a rational human being, you know what I need? I need some care, love and understanding. I'm heading on over to the franchise tax board of California for a little bit of empathy today. Like that, that's not how any of that crap works. And so the, the, the attempt to make government the be all end all that solves all of your problems. This is why if Biden is elected, he's actually going to have some problems on his hands because he's got an unwieldy coalition. He's getting elected on the basis of rejecting that entire coalition, his entire speech was based on patriotism. Hey, the man attends church. Hey, the guy loves family. Hey, the guy loves schools and schools being open. Joe Biden did her entire shtick from a closed public school and then blamed that on Trump, who's been begging to reopen the schools, yep. right? So, so the entire Democratic coalition is completely unwieldy and they've guaranteed their entire base, the world, right? They, they, Joe Biden promised every single thing. There are no things he will not promise. There are no things that Bernie Sanders thinks the government cannot solve. Well, inevitably, you're going to fall short of that particular standard because even God does not promise you to give you all the things you want in life because God is not an idiot, unlike these people. Who, so so that, that's actually going to be a, a rather difficult thing to pull off, which means that either Joe Biden has to cave to the radical left or Joe Biden is going to spend his tenure trying to fend them off. Either way, it's not going to be very good for the country.
Yeah, you know, the other thing about the empathy thing is that there's there's not a lot of empathy for the rest of the world in this hatred of America. It, it really mm-hmm. is embarrassing to me to have these young people come out and talk about how we're colonial and we're sexist and we're racist and all this. While in Hong Kong, people are being pulled off the street and arrested uh, for waving the American flag. And the entire world right now could be and should be and would be looking toward America uh, to enhance their freedom against truly oppressive movement out of China, uh, truly oppressive criminality from Russia. Uh, these are things that are actually threatening the world. And the people look to us as the symbol of the freedom that all of them long for and all of them want to protect. And meanwhile, we have these clowns, this minority of people, the small minority of overeducated buffoons burning the American flag and basically saying to these people, screw you, screw you and your yearning for freedom. Uh, we are more important than the thing you think you want. And it, it really is a lack of, uh, it's, it's ignorance, really. It's the fact that our news media never covers uh, foreign news at all. I mean, the, just before he died, I became kind of friendly with Douglas Adams, the guy who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, and he was an Englishman. And when he came over, I said, well, how are you enjoying America? And he said, well, the news blackout is a little tough to take because, because he never heard a story uh, from the other, from anywhere else on earth. So when they're talking about racism, they've never seen racism. When they're talking about tyranny and authoritarianism, they've never seen it. They don't know what it is. Uh, travel a little bit, go outside the country, and you find out in a big, big hurry how good it is here. It's actually interesting. You, you both made me think of this, that the left, they expect their politicians to lie and they feel like they're inside, like they're in the lie yeah, with them. Yeah. Mm. So it's OK with AOC if Joe Biden gets up there and drapes himself in the flag because she actually her, it's actually a calculation. She understands. I hate the I hate the country. I want to dismantle the country. I want to fundamentally reimagine the country. But I know that the Rubes and Hicks who aren't as enlightened as me need to hear this kind of talk. On the right, we don't have anything quite like that. We, if our politicians don't say the things that we actually believe, we get angry with them. The left, because, I think it's because they know that the media is in the game with them. They know that all the major institutions are in the game with them. They, they can just, uh, they can lie directly to all the undecideds and they're perfect, perfectly comfortable with it. They face no That's a really great point. That's like Obama's uh, opposing gay marriage. Uh, and no one right. ever saying a word or holding it against him. And the actual opinion that he held uh, would now get you fired. Yeah, you know, you did see this a little bit with pre-Trump Republican politicians. So the, the issue probably where it's most clear is the uh, Israel embassy. So every politician since the 90s has said we're going to move the embassy in Israel yeah. to Jerusalem. And then we all listen to that and we say, that's a good idea, but we all know they're not going to do it. And then so Trump goes ahead and he was actually presented by the State Department with a pro and cons list of of uh, reasons to do it, reasons not to do it. And the reasons to do it was completely empty. They didn't see a single reason to do it. And and yet he did it. And everyone was shocked. Even Republicans were shocked. They said, no, no, no. We, all, we knew what you meant, you know, but but Trump has this this odd thing because he's not practiced in politics that he just thinks when you when someone says you're supposed to do this you you actually do it and uh, that that sort of thing is is pretty refreshing and and it it does change the dynamic a little bit from left right republican democrat to this kind of establishment where we're all lying to one another and actually inserting a little bit of the voice I, of the I actually think that what you just said though Michael may reveal something even worse because <laughs> yes, when the Republicans would say they were going to move the embassy, they were they were obviously lying, but they were saying what we wanted to hear because yeah. we, the yeah. Republican voters, did want to move the embassy. But the the le- the extreme left doesn't want uh, the the sort of ideas that Biden is espousing. And the reason I say it's something far worse is because True. I actually just realized all the lies are aimed at the same group of people. <laughs> all the lies told by both parties are aimed at the people in the country who like the country, like our allies, want us to be strong, want to be left alone. The, the Democrats lie and say that they're like us so that we'll vote for them. They're not like us. The Republicans lie and say, we'll do the things you want, even though they won't do any of the things that we want. But only one group of people really gets fed all the horse crap in this country. Yeah, uh, it's a great point. Well, I, I also think that the, the Democratic Party, uh, I, I will say, I, I think that it's pretty obvious they've, they've abandoned the mail vote, right? They, they recognize that the gender gap in this election is just going to be overwhelming. Yeah. And so the, the entire pitch, which was empathy and Michelle Obama doing the empathy routine. By the way, Michelle Obama's speech, which was widely, you know, widely praised, um, the actual content of it was pretty appalling. 
Uh, the the well, you know her her delivery is great. I mean, she's she's great on camera. She knows what she's doing on camera. She knows how to work the camera, which is a skill set. And her husband is the same way. He's very good on camera. Mm-hmm. But the, some of the stuff that she, I mean, she overtly said she's the best selling nonfiction author probably of the last twenty years. And she she essentially said, I know a lot of people may not listen to me because I'm a black woman. Who are these people who are not going to listen yeah. to you because you're a black woman? Like who? <laughs> you're, I mean, the, the two most popular women in America probably are Oprah Winfrey and and Michelle Obama. So I'm, I'm having a tough time with that one. And then she suggested openly in the speech that there is a never-ending list of innocent black people being murdered by the cops. That is a direct quote, that there is a never-ending list. And I thought to myself, well, it, it kind of has an end considering there were 15 unarmed people shot by the cops who were black <laughs> last year. Now that's like I can fit that list basically on like a small slip of paper. And each one of those, and first of all, not just because you're unarmed doesn't mean they're innocent. Some of these people are trying to grab a cop's Bingo. gun. Bingo. But, it's, but beyond that, the number of innocent people who are murdered by the cops every year is extraordinarily low, which is why we actually do know all their names. When people say, say their names, I keep thinking to myself, well, we know their names. Yeah, we can. I mean, we it, 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 was, it, it did strike me during the DNC that the same exact people calling for gun control and federal intervention, federal gun control, are the same exact people saying that if Donald Trump sends the feds to Chicago to disarm gang members, it's bad. So they, they want, I don't understand what they want. Do they want the feds to come in and take the guns away from the bad guys? Or do they want the feds to not come in and take the guns away from the bad guys so long as the feds happen to be run by Republicans? Which suggests to me that, once again, the agenda has nothing to do with bettering anybody's life and much more to do with the, uh, the uh, ascension of, of political power. I want to get your guys' opinion on something. Mm. And that is, what do you think that Trump has to do beyond the political? Because the, the attack here is very obvious, and that is a character attack. This entire thing was a character attack. It was an eight-hour-long character attack. Look what a nice guy Joe Biden is. He helps out kids who are stuttering. He has terrible personal tragedy in his life. He's very empathetic. He's very caring. Joe's the kind of guy who gives women massages even if they don't want them. Right? Joe, Joe's a very empathetic gentleman. And I mean, by, by the accounts of people who know him, a lot of this is true, right? He's apparently not, not, not in the world of politics where he's busy destroying Robert Bork and trying to go after Clarence Thomas and wreck him right. and, and all of that kind of stuff. But in, on an interpersonal level, he's supposed to be you know, quite charming and very nice and, and pretty empathetic. And I don't know how Trump combats that other than, you know, fighting back on all of these other grounds that we're talking about and shutting the hell up. I cannot overemphasize this. He needs to shut the hell up. OK, like it is it is it is political malpractice for the president of the United States to grant nothing but gasoline to the stovetop fire that the Democrats are trying to light here. You recall that he won the election last time, not just because James Comey decided to drop that letter on Hillary Clinton last minute, which did make a difference, but that he went completely silent for a week and a half. Yeah. For a week and a half, the only thing, it was the only time really in the last several years where Donald Trump realized, wait a second, if I get out of the way and I just stand over here for a second, things are going to go a lot better for me. Just let all the focus be on Hillary Clinton. I think Democrats are counting on Donald Trump needing to be in the spotlight all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and they're just, and they're banking on that. They think they can just respond to him all the way to, to the election. And maybe that's true, but I don't think it has to be true. I think that he can very easily, uh, if, he is a, if he's an intelligent human being, which I have been told by reliable people that he is, then he then it should not be that difficult for him to turn it down, at least on, on Twitter. It should just deprive the narrative of some oxygen for like five seconds. He was live tweeting Barack Obama's speech in all capital letters while Barack Obama was criticizing him as being fundamentally unserious for live tweeting things. Okay, that is, that is a bad look, and, it, and it's a fundamentally flawed practice of politics. If he wants to win, and all of us are planning on voting for him, so far as I'm aware, then he needs to do some things to change this perception. But if you, you know, I think he summed up the strategy very well in a meme, actually. That oh, good. He, that he tweeted about a month ago. But, it, but the meme actually was, was really important. It kind of gets to your point, Ben, which is he said, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. And I just happen to be in the way. And that's mm. the message. You know, the Democrats are worried about the, the obvious point that they hate the country because <laughs> they burned it down. And you could see that threat at the convention. So what what President Trump can do, I think, is, is your strategy, Jeremy. He can play those sorts of clips. He's got to go after that. And he's got to make it not just a left-right thing, not just a Republican-Democrat thing. It's people who like the country and people who hate the country. And, if, and I actually do think, to your point, Drew, Trump has a bit of a self-effacing sense of humor about this. He knows his personality can be grating. And if he, if he like he did in that meme, takes himself out of it and he says, look, I am this one guy, I don't know how it happened, but I am one guy standing up against not just the left, not just the Democrats, but even some Republicans, even someone on the right, and I'm doing this weird thing, but it's for you guys. I think that's a strong message. The Democrats seeded the American flag. The Republicans would be insane not to pick it up and make it the symbol of the party. 
I, I completely agree with this. I think Jeremy's got the right idea to, to make sure that people know what the left is doing, to be very specific about it, to make sure he's, he's, been, he's been really good. He's been really good after I, I got Brad Parscale fired by coming on. Coming on. I went on Ben's show. I, I, co, I uh, subbed for Ben on his show and told uh, Kellyanne Conway to fire Brad Parscale. A day later, the guy was gone. It was, it was really that fast. He wields so, unimaginable power. Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing, the power of the Ben Shapiro show. But I, but I have to say, I think since then, he has done the one thing that he should do, which is you campaign as president by doing stuff, you know, making yeah. peace in the Middle East to making sure that you go after Iran. Those are the kinds of things that really show up well. I think it's right to focus on what the left is doing. The left is really, you know, never mind their words, never mind their smiley faces. This is what they do. And I do think this idea of having a bit of a sense of humor about his personality, which makes the news media look small by saying that one of his great lines of his presidency was, I don't drink. Can you imagine what a nightmare I'd be if I drink? Uh, You know, that's the kind of uh, self-awareness that I think plays really well. But it also makes the media look like what they are, which is corrupt, small people biting at his ankles. Yeah, I, I guess I already answered the question when I said I think that he has to make it about what the left is actually doing, not just about what they say. I, I do agree, Ben, that, that he also has to kind of get out of the way. One challenge that Donald Trump has is that he does see the world as being about him. He, he has that in common with his predecessor. Uh, and that makes it very hard for him to, to make the election about them. He wants the election to be about him. That what Donald Trump wants is sort of a vote of confidence from the American people. That's not what's actually in the offering, though. What he needs is a vote of no confidence against the left. He needs to understand, sort of like, uh, to take it all the way back to our first president, uh, George Washington understood that he didn't have to win the American Revolution. He had to not lose the American Revolution. Donald Trump needs to understand that he doesn't need to win this election. He needs to not lose it. The left has run a strategy that was tailor-designed to defeat only one man. It only works against Donald Trump. And so for a brief moment, uh, you know, I I watched this show. It just wrapped up its seven-year run called Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And in this last season, uh, the the ultimate season of the show, they were dealing with these robots from the future who can see the stream of time. And they had gone back into the human past of the 20th century, and they were unmaking all the things, like killing the Avengers back when they were children and all this kind of stuff was going on. And so no matter what our heroes do, they can't win. They can't win because the people, who, the, the robots see the stream of time in, in terms of probabilities. And they can always figure out based on the probabilities what your move is going to be. And so they have this breakthrough moment. It's the turn of the season when they realize, well, that means the only way we can win is to not be the thing that they could calculate that we could be. Hmm. We actually all have to do the thing that we would never do. Whatever our instinct is, don't do it. Whatever made us strong, run against it because that's what they won't be able to see coming. It's very difficult, but I actually think it's what the president has to do uh, in this situation. I do want to push back a little bit, though. He, I don't think he should take himself out of this entirely. He should be wise about it. But let's not forget, for every presidential election in recent memory, the bigger personality wins. The more interesting, the more lively, the more vivacious, right? Uh, Obama beats Romney, Obama beats... If Kim Donald Bush Trump picks Trump. flowers in the Rose Garden this three times between now and the election, he is the bigger person. Well, that's a fair... If he can he's finish breathing. He's breathing. He's more lively by yeah. definition. He's breathing. Yeah. Like, he's running against an active... <laughs> uh, like, an actual corpse at this point. And, <laughs> uh, and by the way, the, the, the media's overblown praise for the fact that Joe Biden could keep it together for a full-on 24 <laughs> minutes... Unbelievable. Was, it was astonishing. I mean, truly, like... Yeah. I, I, even my grandmothers, who are who are well into their nineties at this point, can keep it together for twenty four minutes. Like that, like I understand that we set the bar really low for the guy, but at a certain point, he is going to actually have to answer some questions from a living human being. Uh, well, this, this is, brings this, me, this brings me the to the final question yeah. of the day, and then we're gonna head on over to All Access and answer questions uh, for our All Access members for a little bit. You should head over there right now if you're not already a subscriber at the Daily Wire. You can get twenty percent off with the coupon code Access and join. The fun will be uh, answering those questions. But my last question for you guys for the day, will there be a debate? Yes. There yeah, will I, be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think, I, I mean, I know, Jeremy, you've said a couple times, you, you just don't see how he can do it. I don't see how he can't do it. I think that that is the ultimate uh, back down. It means you will back down to Putin. It means you'll back down to China. It means you, you just don't have what it takes to be the president of the United States. They've, they've floated every argument they can think of in the New York Times and in all the left-wing venues. They've floated every argument they can think of. Clearly, the message is he's got to do it. And frankly, again, if he stays on his feet, 
for whatever it is, two hours, and it's not like, you know, Bradley Cooper accepting the award in The uh, Star is Born. I think if he does that, it's going to be uh, he's going to be praised to the skies. What a wonderful breathing, you know, breathing guy he is. As Trump has, has in fact said, I do not think he can back down. I, I agree. I don't think he can back down entirely as they tried and it failed. My fear is this, though. There's a lot of gray area between no debate and real traditional fair and square yeah, debate. And that, that could involve Zoom, like the whole you know convention was basically virtual. I think if there's a virtual debate, they'll just rig it for Biden. They try to rig the fair and square debates for Democrats, Candy Crowley, and, and including in 2016. So uh, you know that I don't think the Trump campaign can allow. It's got to be a fair and square debate where the moderator and Trump and Biden are all in the same room, and they're still going to try to rig it through various technical means. But, but there, I think, uh, Donald Trump eats Joe Biden for lunch, which is why they're going to try to bring it into that gray area. Ben? I, I think they'll hold the debates. And I think that the thing that Donald Trump has to do is in the first 30 seconds of the debate, he has to drop Hunter Biden's name. He, he huh. has to do it. He has to do it for a couple of reasons. One, because it, it, it is an actual issue in the campaign that Joe Biden has used his family connections or allowed others to use family connections to make a lot of money. There was a real unintentional irony to the video of Hunter Biden saying, my father's always been there for me. And I was thinking, yeah, no, no bleeps. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that fact check true. Um, but if he drops Hunter Biden's name, one of the things that the, that the Democrats have been trying to protect Biden from are the consequences of any question that pisses him off because the empathetic, nice grandpa vibe goes away immediately and he becomes incredibly combative. He's challenging people to fight. He's challenging people to push up contests. He starts to lose his train of thought. So you hit him with Hunter Biden in the first 30 seconds of that debate. He starts to lose it. And Trump says, listen, this is the guy that you're, that you're going to put in the White House. He's not even in the White House. Look, let's talk about why you picked Kamala Harris to replace you, because we all know you're a transitional figure. You're not holding it together here. I don't know what makes anybody think you can hold it together in the White House. He's, it, that's, that's almost the way it has to play note for note, I think. I think you guys are out of your minds. I'll give you each $100 if there's a single debate. Done. I, right? And there should be, by the way, even <laughs> even a debate is ridiculous because there should be three. Uh, that's the modern standard is three debates. I don't think they'll put this guy on a stage. I don't think they have to. Drew, I'm surprised. I'm actually a little surprised you think that they have to. The, your point, which I think is is well made, is that he owns the media. The, the left owns Does. the media. If if he says, I don't get on a stage with racists, that'll be the end of it. They won't hold him to any standard. It won't be backing down. Mm. It won't be backing down to Putin. It will be a principled stand against Donald Trump to not put yourself on a stage with him. I just can't even, I can't even visualize, I can't imagine a possible future where they put this guy on a stage with Donald Trump. The left owns the media, but the media doesn't own the people yet. And the people still will see through it. I, you know, listen, Jeremy, if you're, if you're right, you're right. I, you know, nobody can predict the future, but I think, I, I think if they don't do it, it will be political suicide. Those Chromacons can see all the timelines. <laughs> guys, thank you very much for hanging out yeah, with us tonight. You lost me there. Adam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you guys for hanging out with us on Backstage. We're going to do it again next week for the RNC. Wherever you're watching right now, there's a link in the description where you can click and go over to All Access and take part in the next part of the show, uh, which is for our All Access subscribers only. And that's where we're going to answer your questions with Alicia Krause. Hope to see you over there. Use the promo code ACCESS and get your 20% off. And we'll see you guys next week. Daily Wire Backstage is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer is me, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our assistant director is Pavel Wadowski. And our technical producer, Austin Stevens. Our segment producer is Katie Swinnerton. Editing is by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. And our audio assistant is Robin Fenderson. Playback is operated by Nick Sheehan. And hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. Daily Wire Backstage is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020.